0: And welcome to the Rugby Bits Pod. Um, it's another tough <laughs> tough Monday or another tough week for us to be talking about Swoomok rugby after the loss against the Wallabies this weekend. We're going to close out round, uh, round three of the Rugby Championship and look ahead to round four. Um, the Rugby Bits Pod is proudly brought to you by today, and we have Jared with us today for a little bit possibly the whole one we're not quite sure but jared how are you doing
1: yeah sean doing well thanks for yourself nice nice you enjoy the beers
0: and fish and chips this weekend
1: did indeed i did indeed no. much better than the rugby but uh, we we will okay. get stuck into that yeah
0: yeah there's plen- plenty plenty rugby in the south african side is not not ideal not ideal and we have a guest today um dylan is joining us um again He's uh, been on a couple of our pods in the past. And uh, it's great having him back. Dylan writes for SA Rugby Mag. I'm heavily involved on, on, on Twitter. If you're on social media, you get to get his, his views and opinions um, on there, which is great. Dylan, how are you doing, mate? Uh, good on yourself, Sean. Very good, very, very good. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Um, it's gonna be a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> we- <laughs> We have a couple of challenging things to talk about, but I don't believe it's all, all doom and gloom. Um, the one thing I'm going to say straight off the bat, I'm, I'm going to apologize to everyone. I completely forgot to put our first phase this week, and we won't be having one. I know it's terrible. We normally have a good, a good chat and a good start to the, to the week with with a bit of first phase. So I'm going to have to make up for that with uh, with a couple of challenging questions for Jared and Dylan. But yeah, I think we're going to get stuck into into the result this weekend. Um, Dylan, I'm going to get started with you. I mean, we we lost 25-17 to Australia in Australia. I did pick that uh, South Africa were going to win the, both tests against the Wallabies. I thought we were going to do it. I, I haven't learned my lesson. But just on the result, a few talking points. What was your general feel from the game?
2: Yeah, well, funny enough, I also picked the Springboks to win, although that might have been more in hope than anything else. Um, just sort of a narrow win, maybe two points, but obviously very, very wrong there. Um, yeah, I, I thought the Springboks, again, once again, one of the trends that seems to be evolving in this team is a very low-intensity start to the game um, and starting to sort of let opponents take maybe a 10-point lead over them, and that's a very worrying trend. We saw it again against the Wallabies in Adelaide. Um, but we saw them get back into the match, actually, I thought really, really well, and I thought we, I, th- I thought we saw... A, a bit of a growth in the way that they they attacked again. I thought, I mean, we had, even though the Springboks didn't really convert them, obviously, we had about 13 opportunities in the Wallabies 22, which is something that you can sort of take out as a positive. Um, obviously, I think the last sort of 15 minutes of the first half was really where the game, and the first sort of 10 minutes of the second half, 10, 15 minutes of the second half was where the red game was really won and lost. The fact that the Springboks had the Wallabies down to 14, didn't take that opportunity to score at least more than three points. And the fact that they had fafty-clacks in um, yellow carded and the Wallabies did take full advantage of that fact in the second half and they exploited
0: the width that fafty-clack would normally have covered. Yeah. Yeah. Those those key points are are, are pretty much nail-on-the-head stuff. Um, I definitely want to dive into them deeper, uh, but... Joe, do you have anything else to add to that what is what is your thoughts on what happened on saturday
1: yeah i i, I agree with though I think we're starting far too slowly and we're letting teams uh get the upper hand too uh, early on so I think we really need to sort that out um I don't know if it's just general selection or if it's uh yeah just being flat to start so yeah i I think that's a major issue um and i i said it on twitter but we're sort of lacking a killer edge like there's no when we have our opportunities we're not converting them and that's a very worrying sign. and hopefully yeah you can see bits of our attack coming together and hopefully we start finishing off those chances but yeah my pimpy uh five meters out from the line you generally expect your score and yeah we can get get into the tackle later on but uh the the passes to get a team, they just weren't as accurate. Um buff fumbling at the back of the scrum there, then getting it out and uh, Arms pass was pretty decent under the, the circumstances. But uh yeah, normally you would expect my to finish that off and he didn't. And I think that sort of was the is is, is a little microcosm of the whole Springbok um, attack at the moment that we we creating those chances but we're just not we're not finishing them off.
0: Yeah, I um, I don't think it's all doom and gloom, but I, I think we we struggle with with our accuracy, and it almost feels like when we miss um, what where our nine and ten are, are struggling with the accuracy, whether it's the kicks or the passes, that it really does kind of ripple out, um, and I think that's a that's a hassle for us. But I want to jump into the the slow start. We, we get to that. We really, uh, I'm not even sure how many games, it must be four games, maybe three games in a row where we've conceded really early, really looked poor and um, and not, like we've given sides that will are, are definitely worried about us and scared about us, but we've given them that foothold where they're like, well, hang on a second, we've got a 10-point lead, we've got a seven-point lead. We actually, this is a test rugby, if we really, really knuckle down, um, you know, we could get, res- could get get a result out of this game. So we're almost giving teams a belief. And I, I just don't know where that that comes from. I also think it's really easy to fix. Um, but, but yeah, any thoughts on that? Like how do you, Dylan, do you think that we could tighten up? Is it a, a focus thing? Are we, are we needing to get that first sort of hit in the game, that first tackle to wake us up or concede that first try? Where do you think it's, it's kind of falling away? It may very well be a
2: sort of a focus or a mentality type of thing, because, but because when you look at that game in Adelaide, you suddenly lose the first uh, first kickoff of the match. Um, the Wallabies have the ball and they're into the Springbok 22 immediately on the offensive, and that immediately has the Springboks on the back foot from the get go. The Wallabies are attacking; they're swinging it wide, and the Springboks are on the back foot. So that's that's immediately sort of a mentality type of thing where the Springboks have made an error. And the Wallabies are on the attack and it suddenly sets the tone for the whole test match. So maybe it is sort of a thing where the Springboks aren't coming out as focused as they need to be. It could also be very well that the Springboks need to start some of their best best players. I mean, we can get into the hooker debate. I mean, we we have one of the best hookers in the world and we're sitting him on the bench game after game. And it may be to um, manage him through the test season. He might have a knock. I don't know. Um, but that's just something that's more that could, um, be changed in the starting lineup and have a positive impact in the way that the um, box or starting matches.
0: Yeah. And like, just to build a little bit on that, it's almost like sides are, are focusing on the spring box and going, we have to hit them hard in the first 15 minutes. We've got to, we've got to go absolutely hard balls to the wall and, and really, you know, and, and take something out of it. and. like I look at it and I just think it's not sustainable. Like what the Wallabies did in the first 20 minutes wasn't sustainable, but they had enough on the board and enough left in the tank that they could hold us out. And the thing is, is we, we need to, we need to now be ready for this and let teams run their race in the first 20 minutes and then make sure that we finish what we start and finish our, our opportunities. And then we'll go ahead and, and really, I think we'll we'll will we'll turn the corner in terms of that, Jared. Where else are the are, are the books lacking at the moment? You you think it's the five three six two split? You think it's the personnel starting versus the bench? Where do you think that's going?
1: Yeah, I I don't think um, uh, there's. I don't have too much of an issue whether we have a six uh, two or five three. I think uh, we've got enough quality in the squad to to uh feel both um bomb squads you want to put it like that so i don't think that's much of an issue i do think um maybe giving other players starts um someone like marks giving him a run in the starting lineup i don't think it's the worst idea in the world um and yes uh, we we love this idea of the bomb squad i really do love it but does it really work for for every opposition that we come up against um do other uh, well, other teams finish better therefore we need a stronger bomb squad or uh when teams finish poorer then we can um or if they start poorer then we can we can uh, get a bomb squad in this in the start kind of thing so I I think it's something they can start playing with I mean you, you look at a team like France they always have that dip um in in the 60th minutes and we seem to have that dip in the 20th uh, in the first the first 20 minutes so maybe rectifying that first 20 minutes would be giving certain players an opportunity i don't know i i i think there's there is a good debate in there and it's i think it's something the coaches will be asking themselves as well do we do we need to rely on the bomb squad to come and fix something all the time but or can we actually throw them out throw out a bomb squad that's not really chasing a game but consolidating a win and yeah we we love Boni and Bonambi to be a slow poison and soften guys up, but uh, I I think he would be just as good at um, finishing off a game as he is starting it, and the same applies to Kitsov and Koch and Marks and and Ox. So yeah, but I do think we need to make changes for the next match if that's uh, one of the questions. Um, yeah, I don't know what you think, Sean. What do you say?
0: Hmm. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I think um right, Dylan, I'm gonna bring you bring you in here at the end of this, but I think we've to me, whether we go a five three or a six two, um, I'm I don't mind either because I I believe we prepare for it. But it's almost like we're we've got the the we kinda of mess up in terms of having maybe an Alton like against Wales, he started, he had to play like a hundred pollard game. But then this weekend, we probably could have done better with a, with, with an Altignanchi starting. Or um, like this weekend, Jaden Hendricks uh, starting probably would have been a better shot because a, a more accurate kick and Fuff could have come off the bench. It's almost like we've got the right guys there, but they're not like we, we, we're we happy to have them in the match day 23, but we'd wished we'd started the other guys and replaced and, and done it slightly different. Now, is that, Dylan, do you think that's like a. a something where we're not maybe enforcing our game plan well enough to dictate how we're doing and and getting dictated to and therefore finding ourselves wanting mm. it's
2: exactly what you say sean I, I think it's the box have the framework but they're not quite fitting the right personnel um into that framework for example um and i think that's part of the the big issue that they're finding here for example um we have a, a sort of a Utility back on the bench, but it's Franz Steyn who's coming in for his first game at what 35 years old, um, 34, 35 years old, and he hasn't played since sort of May. Um, So it's no surprise that he looks a bit rusty off the bench. So we sort of have the right players there. And as you said, with maybe starting Hendrickson might have been the right issue, um, the right call. I mean, with Fuff having a bit of issues with his form and coming back from a concussion as well, it might have been the right call just to. Um, start Hendricks, let him lay the platform. We know he can do it. We, we, we've seen him do it against the All Blacks. Um, and then call in Fuff uh, from the bench and let him finish. And we know Fuff is trustworthy enough to at least finish the last 20 minutes of a game, if nothing else.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, Squidge also mentioned it, and I, I do think he's spot on that Jacques isn't quite nailing um, the bomb squad um, yeah. introductions. Like uh, just making a change at halftime, it it doesn't it doesn't um, give as many great results as um, you just get a scrum in your twenty-two and you chuck Kitsi on there to to win you a, a scrum penalty. And I think uh, it was the same with. Um, France was staying coming on in the weekend. I, I just didn't. It didn't seem like the right substitution for me. Like he, he looks slow. He looked unfit. But I is he is he still a test fullback? Like we got to ask that question. Like I, I would trust him in the senses and uh, maybe not. I, w- I wouldn't want him at fly off, but he could definitely uh, slot in at fly off in an emergency. So. Is he still as versatile as what he used to be? He was talking about how his knees are but sore and that kind of thing in, in the build up to the match. Is he still uh, quick enough and sharp enough to be playing fullback, or do we start looking at uh, Francois Stein as the inside back again?
0: tell you, we're we're in a reasonably good spot because I know, um, I think that Francois Stein is in the squad um, from, from a. Uh, from an athlete, uh, from a fitness point of view, in terms of maybe they're just assessing, seeing how he's going, see how he gets out in a run on game, and and uh, um, you know comes off the bench, sorts out things, the actual game time. We know what we're going to get from him, but I think realistically, we, he probably needs to be fitter. So the older you get, um, you can be as talented as anything. The older you get, you are going to be slower. So he almost has to be the fittest he's ever been in his life in order to just kind of be on a par to what we expect from, from test match level, et cetera, yeah. because he did look a little bit behind the eight ball on, on Saturday. But we all know that if really, really land up in trouble, we could put him on, on the field and he could do a reasonably good job. I think it's just what's going on and where we fit him in. The other bonuses we have is the role that he plays is currently being filled. Uh, we, we kind of have guys that are filling that role with Damien Willemser, Jesse Creel, stuff like that so we've got guys that are kind of filling that role where he is is kind of on the on the outskirts now in the past he was a necessity now we can really look at it and go cool well you're actually in trouble So you need to be fit and then we'll see what happens
1: because if he's fit we we, he'd probably make the squad yeah and uh, but I also felt like we we didn't play to his strengths either. Like he he was crashing a lot of ball up from fifteen, and I I was just wondering why why isn't France um trying to find space in the backfield? I mean, yeah, the the Australian uh, they had um Rhys Hodge there, and Rhys Hodge isn't um isn't always playing fifteen for the Rebels and that kind of thing. He is he's as versatile as France was staying, but. Yeah, we saw Francois also got a bit uh, caught out in the backfield. So I think we could have done the same to Hodge with um, France putting him back and getting a bit of a kicking battle on. And I don't think uh, France kicked that much at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, on on that, uh, Dylan, with regards to the Springboks and how we're tracking in terms of, of squad depth, succession planning, um, and for and succession planning and squad depth, I'm talking about for the World Cup, but also after the World Cup, 2024 and beyond. I think maybe start off with the World Cup. How are we doing for squad depth at the moment? And then you can jump on 2024 and beyond. Do you think we're in, in a good place?
2: Yeah, I think we are in a sort of a relatively good place with um, squad depth for, at, at least for the World Cup. Um, we're starting to see that, all 2019, Back row starting together again, which is quite important. We needed to get them um, playing again. Um, we know that Jasper Visa can fill in at number eight. We know that Koukou can fill in at eight and at seven. Um, we know we've got a reliable sort of Francois Lowe-esque type of utility to, uh, back rower in um, Dion Ferry if we need to call on him. He's clearly valued in the squad; otherwise, he would have been left back in South Africa and would be at the Stormers at the moment. Um, so we started to get there. We've seen Evan Ross and Aurichlo make their debuts. Um, we've given opportunities. Curtly Kurt Oranta was outstanding in his Test debut. Um, so we, we're starting to slowly put these pieces together, and these, some of these players are going to be just as important going forward in um, 2024 and beyond. Um, so we sort of slowly started to see some of these puzzle pieces come together. And I've heard that we might just be seeing another test debut coming on um, Saturday. So that's quite exciting as well.
0: Uh, so you think that Moody is going to start at, at 14 for the swing box?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that might be the core. It's either going to be him at 14 or him at um, on the bench. But either way, I I think that chances are that we're going to see Kane and Moody make his debut at Sydney, which is quite an exciting thing. Um if that's the call that the Springboks are going to be making
1: yeah I, I i don't know I don't have an issue about that to be honest um especially coming off the back of a of a of a loss um giving a young guy like him an opportunity uh, especially with um all the injuries we've had in the positions i mean we're looking at our fourth choice right wing at the moment, maybe even fifth with cebu thrown in there so so I, I i I think it' will be an exciting prospect um marking marika korabetti is no um laughing matter as we saw this weekend as well but uh i he he's he's looks like a freak when he's played for the bulls like um psychopath kind of vibes like roman Intermac, that uh he looks wiser beyond his years kind of thing
0: yeah and i'll tell you one thing i saw him absolutely smash people on the fence um he has a very 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 strong shoulder and a pretty good eye um on defense so it's nice seeing an outside back um with with respect to a lot of outside backs because you know we often seem to think that they kind of shy away from from defensive contact and stuff like that but Moody's got a flipping strong shoulder and he really gets stuck in for quite a big lanky kid Dylan yeah yeah
2: he definitely does We we saw that so often on the Um, in the URC in his debut season, that he just came into that Bulls team and he was absolutely fearless on defence. Even when forwards were running down his channel, when some of the bigger wings in the tournament were running down his channel, he had no problems whatsoever putting a good old shoulder into them and shoving them backwards. Um, We saw that in the semi-final. We saw that he can sort of cope at this kind of intensity in the um, semi-final in Dublin. Um, he he can definitely cope with the intensity of test rugby. I think that it will be really, really good to see how he makes the jump.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we're chatting about puzzle pieces. Like I mentioned it quite a bit. I, I really feel there's so many. I, I think the the Springbok coaches like Jacques Nygnava and, and the coaches are putting little elements together, little puzzle pieces are being worked on. We've noticed in the last three, four games that our a, a attacking structure is Quite different. Um, I don't think it is just Dam- Damien Willemser's um, and Billy Larue's integration. I think there's a lot more to it. Obviously, having someone like Willemser there allows you to to bring it in more. Um, uh, and and I, I think we we're putting these puzzle pieces together. And the thing is is we are we we need to be match fit at this attacking shape that we're working on at this attacking. Uh, um, sort Of new game style that, that we're putting together because on Saturday, and I, I, I must get better at, int, uh, at at putting these stats forward because I normally just list them. But we beat 24 defenders on Saturday, that's massive, and it's massive for us. And I must be honest, um, it was actually uh, Malcolm Marks was our leading uh, leading player for defenders beaten, and I think it was another forward, um, only then we're one of the backs, but we did really well, defenders beaten, we we conceded. Way less uh, penalties to Australia. We, um, you know, we we didn't do as many kicks from hand. Ironically, one of our best games we played this year, we kicked more from hand, almost ten times, uh, uh, almost ten kicks more. And we really, we really did well in that first half. And then we didn't finish it off. And then we kind of fizzled a little bit and allowed the Wallabies to get back in. Mm. Do you think that we are able to get these puzzle pieces together and put them on the board and? Put everything together, allowing the players to play a better heads-up rugby and play and play what is in front of them or the moment that's in front of them before the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, uh, Looking at it,
2: I think it's also a matter of getting the right again with the coaches and the players. It's a matter of um, getting them or to buy into the system. It's a matter of just finding our, our feet with this new attacking structure. I think it's really a matter of time and just allowing the players to get used to this new attacking structure. Um, allowing the coaches to learn from some of the mistakes they're making in terms of which players do we sub on at what time, um, which players are better used for this kind of a tactic. Um, and it, I think they'll slowly but surely grow into, this ta- uh, grow into this sort of new attacking structure that we're trying to implement. We've already seen I mean, how many opportunities did we create against the Wallabies just through sort of ball-in-hand play, um, which was awesome to see. Um, so I think it, it's, it's slowly but surely coming on.
0: Yeah um I believe it it we're in a, in a good place and the other the other side of the, of the coin is to me and Jared I, I know we chatted a little bit about it but I definitely want to bring you in here and then Dylan you can you can jump in afterwards but to me it looks like we I don't want to say the players are unfit or unconditioned but it feels like the guys are struggling definitely at the start of the game so it's not a fitness or a conditioning thing it might be a focus situation but we are definitely seem to be going flatter sooner, and obviously we the big talk at the moment is um, so many of our players are running uh, are playing in both hemisphere um both hemispheres in terms of for South Africa and in the northern hemisphere, so there's almost like twelve months of rugby and it's nonstop for them, so we kind of need to manage that situation a little bit. but the other thing that i um was was looking at is, do you think that we are struggling? with the loss of Aled Walters a lot more than than people than people think.
1: I, I think we are. Um I I also um I think that we I, I we spoke about it last week, Sean, about um how Jacques is saying they're trying to get the um training sessions as close to test match intensity as possible. And yeah, when you're coming off in, into test rugby off of a long season, you sort of need to see you need to ask yourself, is that uh, really what you want to be doing? Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a double edged sword with that. And, yeah, you know, we saw what Alet did. He's gone off to the Premiership, and in his first season with the Lesser Tigers, they go and win. Uh, well, I think it's his first season or first full season with them with the preseason the season, and everything. Yeah. yeah, they go and they win the Premiership. So, yeah, I, I think that it does make a big difference. And we are still trying to. Um, get to the same level of fitness that we were at and yeah, yeah i think you're right that we do we are fading off and uh i i uh, yeah it is a bit difficult um and you can see it as well when we are tacking and that kind of thing we can't go through long phases before we spilling a ball or knocking on a ball or somebody's um just getting their clean out wrong and i think a lot of that does come uh down to conditioning and. Yeah, when guys have gone through 35 um, games of club rugby yeah, and then going into your test season, it is difficult. I think uh, the, the other thing that we must add is um, you, you have a look at Argentina and they've gone and beaten the All Blacks for this first time in New Zealand off the back of a big win of, uh, against Australia. And um, they apparently only training twice a week. So they're only having one big training session a, a week. And that was one of the big changes that uh, Michael Checker brought in, because a lot of his players are playing in France, and yeah, you know they get a bit slaughtered there in France with the amounts of games they go through.
2: Oh yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very much in agreement with what uh, Jared was saying. Um, I, I think Allard Walters was clearly highly valued by Rossi um, and Jacques. The fact that Rossi brought him over from worked with him at Munster and they had a very good success rate there. Um brought him over to the box, and the box fitness was probably the best it's ever been, as we saw in japan. Um, it It was really one of the key elements of that um, World cup win. um and we are starting to sort of see the box uh, finish off a bit sluggishly and it it's it is becoming a bit of a problem that needs to be
0: solved um going forward, I think okay now, briefly, um. Looking ahead to, to uh, Argentina, let's, let's say that South Africa beats Australia this weekend, that New Zealand, beats Austra- uh, New Zealand beat Argentina this weekend. The rugby championship is essentially blown wide open with two games left. Our game is one home game against Argentina, one away game, and then the, the Wallabies and the Kiwis play two games, the the Cup, home and away we historically um test um you know test options test players m- work things about take a different squad to the argentinians do you think that if we win this weekend and things are all up, uh, all open that we're going to we're going to look to win the rugby championship or we're going to stick to stick to what was planned because I'm pretty sure things would have been planned a couple of games ago in mm. terms of what's going to be happening in South Africa against Argentina and in Argentina against Argentina. But Dylan, do you, do you think that the, the lure of possibly winning the rugby championship might change things up a little bit? It might, but we
2: don't normally see Russian and Jacques suddenly change things up on a sort of a whim. I think the, from what I've heard, the plan is very much to field a sort of a similar team to what we saw against, uh, Wales and Bloemfortein. So let's fly a few guys over to Argentina, give them an opportunity. And if that's the case, then um, that's obviously done with seeing if these guys can cope with the um, World Cup in mind. Um, I, I think there's no better place to test the player to see if he's ready to play against in a quarterfinal against France, than throwing him in against Argentina away. You, you know how intense the atmosphere can get there. The crowd is right on top of you. They're aggressive. Um, the Argentinians are constantly in your face. It's a really good opportunity to see how many of these youngsters are actually really ready to play in a sort of a big atmosphere away from home. And I don't really see the Springbok coaches changing that um, just for a potentially winning the rugby championship. Um, especially if the if the if it does happen that the players manage if that squad manages to come through that game, then all of a sudden it gives the Springboks a chance to win the rugby championship on home soil. If the, this whole change team can get a winner against Argentina in Argentina, you, you've sort of won twice there because you've managed to see that these players can cope and then you've set up a potential title winning game at home, which gives you that advantage, I think.
0: That's a brilliant point. You probably find that, uh, that Jacques Ninov is hoping desperately that we are in the running for the rugby championship to put the pressure on the guys and just like he said when we when we when we named the side for um for the Bloemfontein test um, against Wales, uh, it was a, a case of let's put these guys in an environment where they are actually playing for something that matters as opposed for a dead rubber and only playing for for a place in um in the squad. Jared, um, you you looking forward to that, or would you prefer to to kind of? send a a full-strength side up to Argentina?
1: No, I I think they need to stick with the plan. Um, If that's the plan that they've come up with and they want to test um, a largely changed side against uh, Argentina, I think they must stick by their guns and go for it. If it means we don't win the rugby championship, I'm okay with that. Um, We've had quite a few disappointing performances um, the last two weeks. And if you're really honest about it, do we deserve to win it after three weeks? I don't think so. Like that first win over the All Blacks was great, but the two uh, going down twice like that afterwards, mm, it is a bit, uh, it, it will be great to win it, but it, it won't feel um, like a, a great tournament victory. So I think they must uh, soldier through and uh, send the, that team that they have decided on to Argentina because um, we're also going to get a lot of games out of, a similar looking team when we go over to um, to europe when we play against bristol bears and we play against Munster. so i think they stick by it um, get these guys playing in the structures in test matches that matter and i think that's that's a big thing about it and we spoke about it in wales as well that they play test matches that matter and not just dead rubbers
0: yeah and conversely um if we do go on and 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 win the rugby championship this year with uh, with all these plans in place, it's uh, it, it's an extra boost uh, boost for for the full squad. So, like Dylan, I agree I agree what you say. It's a it's a double win. Um, let's uh, let's have a chat about the elephant in the room quickly. Nothing too too bad, um, but you know, obviously, uh, South Africans love love to hate the referee when we lose. Um, I think we can probably touch on, on, on the two major talking points, which would be, um, the tackle on my pimpi by Koro Um, and then the, the, the yellow card, I think those two, we, you know, we can, we can discuss Dylan. I'll get started with you. Your, your thoughts on, um, on the, on the Koro decision, um, saving,
2: stopping Mapimpi? Okay. Yeah. I think in terms of the Koro tackle, I've seen it. It's- so heavily debated on social media that i can see enough doubt in it um that i can sympathize with the referee and understand why he went with the call that he went with both him and the tmo um from my point of view from the first point of view i, th- I thought it was my first viewing of it it definitely seemed like horobiti didn't use his um arms in the tackle and that probably should have resulted in a yellow card and a penalty try um but then again, this is coming from a bit of a biased South African, so <laughs> take that for what it's worth. But um, <laughs> I can certainly sympathize with the referee in this case. Um, it's been debated so heavily on social, there's been back and forth, there's been people saying, no, Mapimpi um, shouldn't have dived the way that he did, um, that he was carrying the ball in the wrong arm, that um, Perobetti did get his arm up there, that he did get enough of an arm up there for it to be a legal tackle. So I think there's enough doubt in it that you could sort of see why the referee mm-hmm. does uh, it. As for the Faf situation, it does look so bizarre when you put these two situations right up against each other. And that's probably what, what has led to the anger that it has. Um, but in terms of the Faf situation, I, I really do sympathize with Faf in this case. Um, you can see what he was trying to do. Um, he just put himself in a situation that maybe he shouldn't have. You can see that and it's certainly legal for him to do this, for him to try and claw the ball um, back from the scrum. As long as it's not a slap down and it doesn't go forward, then he's completely legal in doing what he's doing. Um, I think Nigel Owens said as much on social media. Um, so I, I, I do sympathize with Fuff in that case, and he's just managed to graze. And Nick White, being a typical scrum off, has milked it for everything that it's worth. Um that's certainly, something we don't want to see creeping into rugby that sort of play acting and finding of things. It, it's its something we see far too much of in football, and we, we definitely don't need this growing into um, rugby, this sort of thing. But um, Nick White played it very, very well, um, and he managed to give the Wallabies the advantage that they actually really exploited in the second half. If Puff was on the field, the Wallabies probably, as we said, I've said earlier in this podcast, if Puff was on the field, then the Wallabies maybe don't find that space out wide that they managed to at the beginning of the second half because he would have been covering that space if he was on the field.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I, uh, for my sins, I was spending most of Saturday and a lot of Sunday explaining to a lot of my friends and a lot of other people the, the law of the game in terms of why the TMO and the referee settled on the decision um with regards to the Corey Betty challenge so my gut feel when i when i saw that live I was like yeah that's um that's illegal and then when you see things in slow mo i the the most important wording and is has been said by yourself there's enough doubt there the way you can say can you 100% say that he did not use an arm and you can't because there is arm there and it's slow motion and all sorts of stuff and there's enough doubts. And, and, and that's the thing for me. Um, I did personally think that he led with his shoulder, but then when, when he wraps, does that negate the shoulder? Because a lot of people were saying, yeah, but you know, he's made contact with the shoulder. Well, you tackle with your shoulder, you don't tackle with your arms. So when you lead with your shoulder, it did look tucked, but then he did bring it up. And I thought the way that, that it played out, it could have gone either way. You know, if they gave a penalty and a yellow card, I don't think it would have been a, a penalty try, honestly. I, I think there, were yeah. enough, there was enough doubt there. Even though he was in the air, there were two other players there. So that probably yeah, enough, would yeah. have incited, incited more riots. Um, but I yeah. think there was enough going on there that if it went either way, you would, you, 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 the, other, the opposition could have argued it. So, so yeah, it, it's a tough one. It's the gray area in rugby that, that causes the most hassles. Um, but, um, but it is what it is. You know, with regards to what happened again uh, by Nick White, uh, just to put things in perspective, it is the most, the biggest shithousery gamesmanship, whatever you want to talk <laughs> about. He has simulated in, 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 in a way, but I'll tell you something. Nick White has picked up very early, whether it was one of the analysts or himself, but before the game that Fuff does that sort of flailing at, at the at the scrum. And Nick White is maybe purposefully kept lower, hoping to get, to, for Fuff to make contact? it wasn't um, it wasn't and by any means a touch on his moustache. He's hit him. it's not a, it's not a hit. He hasn't struck him intentionally, but he's hit him in the face like hard enough. like it's contact to the face, it's reckless. It is a penalty. I have no doubt about it. And by the law, if you make reckless contact to someone's face, it's a yellow card. So yeah. what happened to Fuff Clack was by the law. what What Nick White did? is what's pissing everyone off and yeah. we don't want to, we don't want to see it. And I will tell you something. I I, I thought it was, well, I, he's going to get enough stick from everyone, even his own mates. I guarantee you he had to, he had to have like two or three fines that night just for that alone. I'm, I'm sure about <laughs> it. He'll probably be fined for it in, in every single time he goes down to any rugby club in the world, they'll probably fine him for it. Mm. And he's getting a lot of abuse for it, but he's done what he's, what he's done. And I tell you, South Africa was scrumming, and we were on top of it in scrums. We were scrumming in the Wallaby 22. We were on Mm. top of them. The Wallabies would have had to set up a a phase at 12 and then exited, and South Africa would have had a line out in and around the 22-meter line. So if you look at it in that perspective, Nick White has done everything he can to get out of that situation, and they get the line out. It's it's brilliant. Mm. It's it's brilliant mm. by him. It's it's heads up. Like he's really seen the situation, and then he has gone and milked it. Like you know, there's a fine line between gamesmanship and 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 simulation. But you're right. We mm. don't want to see more of it. Uh, I did think it was. Uh, I just thought at that particular time, it was it was such a match match uh, turning mm. moment, and the Wallabies were were on top of it and desperately needed it. So. Yeah, it was. I think it was tough. too funny.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it was quite. I think also to add to that, I think the referee could have been a bit. I know he applied the law and he took the law and he and and, and that's what the law says. And it was definitely within the limit of the law to give Buffett the clacky yellow card. But I think this is where ref- referees like Nigel Owens were so good in their careers is they could, even though Nigel Owens wasn't a player, he could put himself at times in a player's shoes and sympathise with what a player was trying to do um and maybe the referee instead of sort of strictly strictly applying the lawyer, he maybe could have been a bit more sympathetic, said, Listen, I know what you're trying to do, fuff um, but you have struck him in the face, and it is a penalty against you um and given the penalty but not the yellow card but i mean it that it, it is what it is, and it's it, it 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 happened as it did happen, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah
0: okay so let's let's wrap up the South Africa wallaby game um the, the books uh, are playing them again this weekend coming um i'm I'm not going to give my predictions on it because I, I seem to be quite shit at it to be quite <laughs> frank um yeah. so i'll just uh, I'll just leave it we obviously expecting the springbok side to be announced tomorrow morning um so yeah. I'm looking forward to that but you know let's talk about something else and and uh, and coming all together that was just incredible to watch on Saturday, but the Pumas beating the All Blacks um in in New Zealand. Um and Foster's in a heap of trouble again. But what an incredible defensive effort by Argentina.
2: Yeah. Wow. It was incredible. I think I saw that Marcus Kramer, if I'm not mistaken, um made about 26 tackles, which is um the highest for any player since Argentina have come into the rugby championship. So that just illustrates just how committed these Argentines were on on defense, and how accurate they were. They were just smashing anything in a black jersey was just getting hit backwards and being sent flying backwards. It was just an incredible physical statement from the from Argentina.
0: yeah, incredible. you did. He made twenty six tackles and and second on the list was uh, Montoya with eighteen. I mean, to make eighteen tackles in a test match is is quite something. You know? and to think that he was eight off the top it's it's quite yeah. remarkable
2: <laughs> yeah yeah it it was just and and that's really where the um win, the base for the win was laid down is is with that defensive effort and they managed to take the opportunities when it came um another I- interesting sort of sideshow to this is I-, I wonder how much of a role Pablo Matera played in all of this um because obviously he's gone and he spent a season a bit uh, at the Crusaders and he's um Got to learn the New Zealand way of playing. He's he would have known how the New Zealanders might have been preparing for this um, particular test match. He might he he obviously knows the Crusaders guys in that squad, and he will know their particular strengths and their particular weakness. So I just wonder how much of a role he played um, beyond just the on-field stuff, but the off-field and the preparation. How much IP he added to that, having spent quite a bit in quite a bit of time recently in New Zealand.
0: Absolutely. And also bearing in mind the the new Ford's Coast for the All Blacks is the old Crusaders Ford's Coast. So he would have known uh, intimate knowledge about what the the pack was probably going to be getting up to. Yeah, it's exactly that. Yeah. Where to now for the All Blacks?
2: Um, It's a difficult one for them because obviously the New Zealand rugby board has come out and they've publicly backed Foster. So Again. It, they end up coming again, and they end up coming with even more – I don't think they'll sack faster. Let's just get that out of the way. I think if you go and you publicly back someone to the 2023 World Cup, well, then for better or for worse, you have to follow uh, okay. through with that.
0: Okay, wait, wait, becomes, wait. wait, wait. wait. Yeah. wait. Let's, let's say they win this weekend. Let's just say they win this weekend. Yeah. Okay, but, yeah. but they've still lost to, to to the Pumas. What happens if yeah. they go on and lose the Bledisloe and, and, and lose 2-0 to Australia I reckon yeah. Fozzie's on his way out the door. You reckon and that's, that no matter what, yeah. he's, they're sticking.
2: That's, that's what I was about to say. I think it becomes a little bit of a different conversation if they do go on and lose the Blizzard Cup because I think the Blizzard Cup is so much more massive for New Zealand. Obviously, they haven't lost it in years now. Um, and if they do lose it, then it becomes decades. a very, very different. <laughs> very decades. Um, it becomes a very, very different conversation that you're having around Ian Foster.
0: Yeah, it's. Oof, I, I think he's out the door. Uh, yeah, I, I said yeah, yeah. so a couple of weeks ago. I think I think yeah. he's out the door. I think this uh, the win in South Africa papered over the cracks a little bit. Did, I think they did. were 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 expecting um, to beat Argentina two 0 at home, and that would have just kind of pushed the wolves away a little bit, you know, they weren't so close to being like chomping at the door, but now they're back and they're back quickly. It was only a, a two week break, one game break. And I think, I that's think, it. you know, yeah, there, there's too many firsts happening. And I think it, he's under, I don't even think if he, go, you know, if he goes on and wins the world cup next year, they will still look at his time as spring as, as, as an all black coach yeah. as a failure.
2: Yeah. I, I I think that's very much, that is very true. I mean, New Zealand are used to being known as these giants of test rugby. Um, so, that, so they're sort of used to winning the World Cup, as it were. Um, so I think they would look at... For Foster's reign would definitely, regardless, be colored by these um, and be tainted, rather, by these all these sorts of firsts with the Irish series, with Argentina beating them in Australia, with Argentina beating them now in New Zealand, with South Africa. I, I just think that it's just Foster's tenure is just going to be so tainted by all these historic negative firsts. as I mean, we we saw a similar thing happen to Alistair Kutzia. Obviously, he didn't last very long as Springbok coach, but he was setting all these new firsts. Um, And once it becomes a habit, it's so that losing habit gets ingrained into a team. It's so difficult to get out of.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about another coach, Michael Chaker. Um, Matt Guito with a great tweet this weekend going, where was this game plan when Chakes was the Wallaby coach? I mean, he's gone and like single-handedly upset the Aussies uh, on one of their biggest days ever with a great win over the Springboks. But Chakes is 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 incredible. And uh, what he's done, the personalities brought together is, is something crazy. You reckon he can go two for two against the All Blacks? I don't see why not. I mean, if they can replicate
2: that defensive performance again, um, I, I can certainly see them going for two, two for two. I think it's all going to, as, as you've said, I mean, the Argentinians tend to relax a little bit during their training. They don't tend to have the test match intensity in their training as the Springboks do. And that might actually benefit them this week coming off such a physical performance. Um, They might be able to just get a bit of energy back in their legs. Because we saw, I think it was last year in the Australia based rugby championship um, or it was two years ago. I think when the Argentinians got that win over the All Blacks, I think it was the 2020 um, rugby Championship, which was the Tri Nations. Yeah, um, yes. we saw when Argentina got that win, and then they immediately just hit a wall after that, and they just could not keep going. They they just really struggled after that. I think that might change um, with this week with Czech in charge. They'll have a bit of a different strategy, and that might actually benefit them.
0: Yeah, I think you know Czechs is is one of the best when it comes to changing things up. I'm realizing mm-hmm. certain pressures and everything like he he's not going to stick to the book necessarily. You know, he, he's yeah, not a um, a habit man, you know, he'll look at something yeah. and go, you know what, maybe we need an extra day off, or for maybe we need an extra training session just for shits and giggles. Um, yeah. You know, so you, <laughs> you would expect that, but you no, know, going back to, uh, to the defense, it was, I tell you this, this, when uh, this is what pure love is for me in, in rugby terms, Argentina had a 96% tackle completion rate against the All Blacks insane. this weekend. Yeah. yeah. They had to make 192 tackles. They only missed eight. Mm. So They made 184 out of 192. It is yeah. remarkable.
2: Yeah. You, you don't see those stats very very often in in especially in test rugby where the margins are so fine. You you just don't see it sort of and and it's so especially in modern test rugby where everything is so competitive. I mean you look at the, I think the Springboks missed about six tackles in the opening nine minutes against Australia, um, so that just sort of compares and contrasts it.
0: Yeah, um, it's uh, it's just incredible, and I, I can't remember the name of the of the Pumas' defensive coach, but I know he's a Kiwi, so um, yeah. they you know they're kind of rocking the boat a little bit. Now onto yeah. something a little bit uh, also. A little bit of a bummer into the weekend, but the blitzbox were were in the running to win the sevens World Series, two points ahead of Australia um, there was the blitzbox Australia, Fiji, and Argentina all in the running to win the no. series after no. the blitzbox won the opening four five tournaments and unfortunately no. we really we missed a, a few players but we really just didn't um, we did. We didn't perform in LA, and uh, we were knocked out um, of, yeah. of the running uh, for the cup, but still in, in line to win the um, the whole the whole series. And then fell off in uh, Australia. Ended up winning it uh, for the first time ever, and by just by two points. Um, in uh, you know finishing third, incredible. The, old, the New Zealand won the series, beating Fiji yeah. in the final. But that's fallen away because Australia won their first ever World Series title.
2: Yeah, yeah, and well done to Australia. I mean, they 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 did really well to come back and after a shaky start in Dubai, come back and they they didn't have the greatest um, tournament in Malaga either. Um, to 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 sort of come back and get this um, win is just just absolutely remarkable, considering where they've come from. I think they. Sevens program was almost cancelled as, as was many um, during the whole pandemic situation. so it, it, it's just a testament to how well this team has been coached and the sort of plays that they've got in that they've managed to sort of rejuvenate themselves and challenge the Blitzbox who, and Fiji for that matter, sort of the giants of Sevens Rugby to get this first ever series win. I mean and as far as the Blitzbox go, I mean a, a very, very good start obviously, as we've said too four consecutive um, tournament wins and then just completely falling off a wall as soon as as uh, as soon as we went back to a full sort of uh, seven structure like when New Zealand and Samoa came back into it ironically um, all of a sudden things just started going pear-shaped for the blitz box and um, we obviously had a few had injuries to a few key players I think Ronald Brown was out for a little bit um, but that's no excuse. I mean, they, they really should have been doing better than what they did do in some of these tournaments. I mean, to
0: lose, especially only getting five points from that was just a nightmare. Yes, yes, we really mm-hmm. did struggle. And I tell you, uh, I'm going to echo your your sentiments on Australia, like well done to them. They they only won one tournament the whole year. And that was uh, that? The, the last one, which was against London. But they to a- car, they managed two silver medals and they've got three um three bronze medals and you know that's uh that's enough points to help them along the way. Their worst result was was getting ten points out of a tournament. Our worst result was toulouse getting five points in this weekend and LA getting three points and you know they, they, those really hurt us and yeah it's a, it's a tough one, but uh, hats off to australia uh, I must be honest when I didn't think that they were in the mix um well, they were in the mix, but I just thought mathematically it was too much for them to do um, with the New Zealand side that was, that was announced and the Fijians and the South Africans yeah. and, and Argentina playing so close to home with, with such a – like so deed up to, to win the thing because they'd never won it. So I must yeah. be honest, Australia weren't even in the, in the running in my mind. I thought everyone else was probably um, more closer to being favorites, but that's flipping brilliant for them and leading into to the World Cup, which is in Cape Town in a month or two.
2: Yeah, I know in a couple of weeks time. Um there's not Ooh. um it's uh, yeah, yeah, there's not a lot of this was the whole talking point um going into this is there's not a lot of time for the Blitzbox to put their feet up, go flying straight to going straight off the almost straight off the Commonwealth games where they did really, really well. They flowed mm. to LA, they they flopped in LA and now they don't have a hell of a lot of time to put things right before they go into Cape Town on the ninth of September. Um and they and they're gonna be at a really, really Obviously, playing at home, there's going to be a lot of expectation for them to um, go all the way. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, the way that the World Cup is working is it's straight knockout, so there's no um, second chances. So once you're out, you're out. So um, it's it really, really is going to be pressure for the Blitzbox to win and, and keep on winning. Uh, they're going to have to hope that they get some of these injured players back. Um, we, we've seen how important yes. Ronald Brown and um salvin davids are to this team i think salvin davids was unlucky not to get into the um, team of the world seven series i think he's been absolutely outstanding for the Blitzbox. i think he really is um the key playmaker for them and then obviously we saw zane davids get injured um during the la seven so hopefully he's all right because those those sort of three players are very very important to whatever the Blitzbox are going to be doing at the world cup
0: yes yes and I, I must be honest; it's news to me. But I've just had a look, and we the the World Cup is is um, is straight knockouts, as you mentioned. Yeah. There's a um, what's called the pre round of sixteen, um, yeah. which is obviously straight knockouts, and then you go into uh, <laughs> to the round of sixteen. Which yeah. sorry, the pre round of sixteen is almost like a little mini qualifier, in that there are a couple yeah. of um, sides in there, and then um, the round of sixteen. There's a uh, a bunch of the, the 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 early qualified men's sides are um, already in it so so yeah that's uh that's quite something man so yeah yeah, yeah. you you've got to be in it to win it mate that's it
2: yeah exactly there's no as i said there's no second chances and on top of that the blitzbox are also going to be dealing mentally with the fact that this is neopower's last tournament in charge as blitzbox head coach um and i mean the last time that i spoke to him was at an event um cape town stadium and uh, he, he really is starting to deal with that sort of emotionally that that whole he omitted he that already during the um, commonwealth games it was starting to hit him that listen this whole journey this journey that he's been on for over a decade is starting to come to an end so so yeah. they, they're going to have to really have to deal with that they're going to have to find a way to put that to the side so that they can focus on on getting this um, World Cup win. Because, I mean, what a way that would be to send Neil Powell off. I mean, he's been so, so good as both a um, player and as a coach of the Blitzbox. He's given so much to um, Springbok Sevens. And um, he really, really,
0: I mean, if anyone does deserve it, it's him. Absolutely. And uh, it's a sad time for the the SA Sevens community But I'll tell you one thing, I'm super excited to see what he brings to the 15-man game, specifically um, in in Durban for the the Sharks. I think he's going to really, he's going to make some serious changes and we're going to see it uh, with uh, a Sharks squad that should probably have done better last year, but I have no doubt we'll be doing better definitely this season coming, but possibly if it doesn't work straight away, it'll definitely be the second half of the season, so so, yeah, the storm has showed that you can have a slow start and go all the way. Um, yeah. So I reckon the, the Sharks are in the mix. Um, Dylan, yeah? Oh, yeah, I was just going to add to what you
2: say, is uh, just say that, yeah, Neil Powell, is a, um, he, he, he does set his standards very, very high, and he is very uncompromising. He's he The thing about Neil is he's very good at building these relationships with these players, but at the same time, um, he's also very, very uncompromising about his standards. So I have no doubt that he'll bring something big to the Sharks and he'll add something that hasn't been there before.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, that's no doubt. I'm looking forward to it. But Dylan, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Um, for, for the viewers waiting for Jared, uh, I actually forgot to mention he did, unfortunately, had to jump off uh, a little earlier. Um, but Dylan, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to the match on Saturday. Um, I, I I must be honest, I don't think we can we can lose twice in Australia. Well, we can, but I don't feel we will. <laughs> um, but I, I shouldn't be saying stuff like this on air because um, I haven't really exactly been been knocking my predictions out the park lately. But Ooh. yeah, looking forward to it, and uh, looking forward to catching up on Twitter and and getting involved. And um, anything else we got to look out for? You got any interesting pieces coming out with the SA Rugby Mag that we need to keep an eye for?
2: Um, well, w- with the Mag specifically, I'm working on a piece that's looking at the. Um, combination between it, uh, D- Damien De and Lucanio M, that good old midfield combination, because I think if I'm not mistaken, it's a couple of tests away from breaking um, Jean de Villiers and Jacques Vary's, um record as the most capped sort of partnership, midfield partnership. So I'm busy working on that at the moment, and it should be a really, really good piece. I'm excited about it.
0: Oh, that sounds phenomenal. Uh, looking yeah. forward to it. please feel free to send us a draft and we'll uh, we'll sign an NDA if need be so we can have a have a quick read but yeah we, we'd love to we'd love to read it please tag us when you when you do drop it so we can share it with everyone i know um we all want to we all definitely want to want to jump into that and read it but yep again thank you very much and uh, and big thank you to be for for always being involved with with rugby bits and and proudly so we're involved both ways but Thank you very much. And uh, Dylan, we'll catch up in the week.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been really, really good to be back on. And hopefully we can see a bit of a change with the Springboks this weekend.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we've we told them. We've told them what they need to do. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Matt, thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Eh?